He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Mark chapter 4, verses 40 and 41. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. If you are like me, you can think of times in your school career or life when a key concept refused to come within your reach. It is extremely frustrating, both for student and teacher, when this happens, especially when failure to grasp the concept means that further progress in the discipline is hampered. When I encounter these stories in the Gospels, where the disciples persist in not getting the foundational teaching that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah, the anointed one of God, I often have to stop myself from rolling my eyes at their hard-headedness. For me, as I suspect for you, when they ask, who then is this? I want to answer, he's a son of God, you dolt. What I didn't realize until relatively recently, over the past few years, is that the four gospel writers include these stories with the disciples' reactions, not to show their thick-headedness, but to get us to think about the question they are asking. You and I, and every Christian alive today, has the benefit of 2,000 years of church thinking and teaching about every jot and tittle in the scriptures, and how they relate to answering the questions of, who is Jesus of Nazareth? And what exactly does it mean that he is the Christ? I've often found it hard to extend grace to my first century forerunners in the faith, assuming that it ought to have been obvious to them. What I fail to consider at these times is that it is not necessarily a bad thing to ask, who then is this? I also forget that the times in my life that I have had the hardest time understanding a concept was when I didn't voice the questions I had for fear of looking foolish or like I wasn't on par with my peers. Human beings sometimes pick up concepts quickly by watching and listening, but often we need to ask for clarification. Sometimes, simply asking the question provides the ready answer. The gospel lesson today is one that we have often heard. Jesus and his disciples, after a day of preaching, teaching, healing, and otherwise ministering to the crowds, get in a boat to cross the Sea of Galilee. A violent windstorm buffets the boat, tossing the craft about with waves threatening to capsize, swamp, or otherwise doom the ship. The disciples, in fear of their lives, turned to Jesus, who was doing the last thing anyone would be expected to do in the situation. He is asleep. They rouse him, and upon his rebuking the storm, calmness is restored. The exchange in verses 40 and 41, Jesus asking where their fear comes from, and their questioning among themselves, reveals to me both that they desire to know who Jesus is and that they are afraid of what the answer to that question might mean for them. 
the very question, Who then is this, that even the wind and sea obey him, can almost be thought of as rhetorical. In the Hebrew scriptures, there is only one who is able to command the natural elements, God himself. Prophets and miracle workers had mighty works, including works of healing attributed to them. But whenever the sea was parted, or storms were raised up or put down, those were always attributed to the work to the direct work of God. Following directly on from this question, as soon as the party gets off the boat on the other side, they are confronted with a man oppressed by demons, a legion of demons in one man. The man sees Jesus and his disciples and comes straight for them. Have you ever noticed that the man's words to Jesus are the first words recorded after the disciples voice their question. In some ways, the demons speaking through the man are answering the disciples' very question. What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? The truth that the disciples were afraid to speak, though it would be their salvation, is the same truth that the demons can't help but speak, though it is their damnation. For, Though knowing the Godhead and the goodness of God better than any embodied creature on earth, they rejected the heavenly places in order to oppress creation. As James says, the demons believe and tremble. If anyone needs further convincing, let's hear the words that close out this account, after Jesus has cast the demons out of the man and into the great herd of pigs. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends, and tell them how much the Lord has done for you, and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away, and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Mark, the fifth chapter, verses 18 through 20. Did you notice anything that strikes you as odd about that passage, hearing it again? What does Jesus tell the now liberated man to do? Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. And what does the man do? He goes to the Decapolis and proclaims how much Jesus had done for him. When you hear the phrase, the Lord, in the Gospel accounts, you should understand it as an idiom for referring to God, just as in the Hebrew scriptures when the word Adonai, which means the Lord, would be read aloud whenever the holy name of God was written. So, you could rephrase Jesus' command to the man as, go and tell how much God has done for you. For the man to then go and tell the people of the Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him either means that the man disobeyed or misunderstood Jesus, or it means that he understood plainly that Jesus is one with the Father. If we didn't have the account of the storm being calmed, all of his other mighty works, or even the testimony of the demons, we could possibly make the former case. With all of these direct evidences of who he is, it is only fear, 
pride or willful rebellion which prevents us from understanding the truth of who Jesus is. Why then is this so hard for the disciples to grasp? The answer for me is that I sometimes have trouble understanding it. I have had fleeting times when I myself wondered if I really believed that Jesus is God, or if somehow the church had gotten things wrong. I want to make clear, I do believe that Jesus is God, and I assure you that the church has not gotten this wrong. It can still be a difficult teaching when you stop to think about it. We do not expect that the creator of the entire universe would have any desire to leave behind power and glory and step into his creation, taking the form of a lowly human being, and especially not one who was derided and hated by the countrymen of his birth. It is also vitally important and of grave consequence if we are wrong. Paul says that if Jesus is not raised from the dead, then we are most to be pitied. If Jesus is not God, then we are actually guilty of blasphemy and accursed. If he is not God, though he put himself forward to be like God, then he is likewise guilty, and we cannot believe anything he says, including the promise that I spoke of the last time I preached, that all sins and blasphemies of the children of man will be forgiven. I don't say any of this to provoke doubt, only to drive home that when the disciples ask, who then is this? It is not entirely out of willful ignorance or hard-headedness. They aren't just being bad students. The question is important. What this church teaches, and I believe, as should you, is what has been the historic faith of the church ever since the beginning. Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ, the Son of the Most High God. His words are true, and his promises are assured for those who abide in the faith. He is the calmer of storms and seas, and the liberator from oppression. He defeated suffering and death through his own suffering and death, not only rising from the dead in victory over death, but bringing with him out of the place of the dead those who had been faithful to God in their life before the time of his incarnation. As we see throughout the Gospels, the disciples continue to have questions. Questions in and of themselves are not wrong, nor do they of themselves betray faithlessness. We also see that even once we can confidently answer, who then is this? Or as Jesus himself asks, who do you say that I am? Our journey is not done. Peter confidently proclaimed Jesus as the Christ, but soon afterward showed that he still needed work with regards to faith. It isn't really until after Jesus' resurrection that his disciples fully understand what it means to confess Jesus as the Christ. I encourage all of you to think about your own questions about Jesus. Where they are clearly attempts from the enemy to cause you to stumble, rest on faith and reject them. Where they seem like they might be prompts from the Holy Spirit to invite you into a deeper knowledge of the person of the Son, Meditate on them and ask for revelation and understanding. Don't feel bad if you don't have questions about Jesus. Faith is a spiritual gift, and one of the desires of the Lord is that we would all have faith like little children. Just make sure your sureness 
comes from faith, as opposed to solely taking what I or any other teacher tells you. May we all rest in faith in the person of Jesus Christ and knowing and know him as the Son of God, proclaiming him without fear or hesitation. Amen.